We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome into the RotoWire NFL podcast, sponsored by Yahoo Mario. It is Thursday. It is the Thursday of Week One. Are you excited? Yeah, sure. What about you? <laughs> well, I'm. Uh, you know, I did a couple more drafts this past week, Tuesday and Wednesday, and you know, it was kind of funny. I'm just like sitting back last night, like finishing off uh, that last draft uh, with some family members and all that, and it's like what. Now I actually have to do stuff with these teams. I've been, you know, drafting all summer long, it feels like, and I'm sure you feel the same way, although uh, you've done a lot of, like, best ball stuff, so you don't have to worry about a ton of in-season management for that, at least, but still, a ton of leagues nonetheless, and it's just kind of like this funny realization that you come to where it's like, wow, I actually have to manage and make these start-sit decisions. Yeah, I kind of quit the home league thing a while ago just because I found myself not being able to care enough, like there just wasn't enough on the line, so... Uh, I'm down to just five leagues, which is still like three more than I'd rather be doing something like that. So it's, uh, it's definitely that time of the year where it's just, uh, 
gonna gonna feel like I'm always late on some assignment or another. I guess. Yeah, I'm I'm like so scatterbrained, and and I have leagues on so many different platforms that you know like espn yahoo my fantasy league and you know the list goes on the nffc uh and all of their all the stuff that goes right. under their umbrella too so it's just like a you know i put out one fire and, and set a lineup somewhere and then it's like oh crap i have to log into like five other things real quick before before i can feel comfortable yeah so uh I, i'm set for this week i think but i also might have forgotten you know two of the five something like that okay so we'll see we'll see uh, i guess i'll check on that again monday or something somewhere between 100 and 60 percent covered uh for that so basically uh the direction we're going to go with this podcast on thursdays is kind of breaking down each game you know quick game by game capsules to get you ready and kind of help you through uh those start set decisions and kind of give you our our general take um on each game every single weekend uh, but before we get into uh that slate uh here we got a message from our friends over at yahoo yahoo has officially released their week one daily fantasy football contest. They have a $1 million contest for week one with no management fee and $100,000 to the first place, meaning more money goes back to you, the players. 10 entry max, you're not going to be playing against people with 150 lineups like on other sites. Yahoo also has a $100,000 guaranteed contest, so there are lots of prizes out there for week one. If you're just getting started with Daily Fantasy Football, join the free uh, join the free to enter the Yahoo Cup and play all season long $150,000 in weekly and season long prizes. And if you get the perfect lineup, you win $1 million. Get started now at yahoo.com slash daily fantasy. All right, Mario, let's get into uh, this week's slate from, from a game by game perspective. We're going to, we're going to skip the Thursday night game by the time that we have this st- uh, posted out for you people. Um, the game will probably have already been started, so no point there. So we're just going to fast forward on to Sunday. Let's open things up with, with an interesting one here uh, with the Super Bowl losers, the, the, the Super Bowl runner-ups, the Rams going across the country here to face the Panthers. The Rams minus two favorites uh, in this contest. Kind of a, a skinny line here, but you know, again, it is a West Coast team going to going to the East Coast. Although this is the first week of the season, so the travel tax isn't as heavy, at least at this point of the year. What's sort of your take on this one? What side are you going with, and how are you approaching it from a fantasy perspective? Well, it's one of the few games with an over-under over 50, even though it went from 51 maybe down to about 50, depending on where you look. So it should be one of the more urgent games on the slate, and given the quarterbacks in this game given the offensive personnel on both sides as well as the defensive questions i think on both sides i believe that it's a game worth targeting uh, especially like in dfs it's worth considering a bit of it but even even though it's like a, a tough matchup for if like luke keekley you know is at his sharpest it'll be tough for todd Gurley perhaps that carolina defense is doing more three four stuff i guess which might need a bit of an adjustment period so if the rams can get going McCaffrey's going to do a lot and the Rams defense gave up a lot of rushing production last year so it could be like a big game for the biggest names in it I guess okay and then I guess what I'm asking more now uh looking at the quarterbacks in this one because I feel like Cam Newton and Jared Goff are kind of those fringe uh QB ones for for week one so if you have shares of either of them are you feeling pretty confident starting them yeah, so that Carolina pass rush is a little intimidating, like adding Brian Burns and Gerald McCoy could make things a little tougher, but uh, Dante Jackson, Bradbury may be pretty decent one-two corners, but I don't think Bradbury matches up with any of the Rams receivers very well. 
and uh, the safeties in Carolina don't seem so great. M- maybe Reed's okay. I don't know, but I expect McVeigh to have something to get to get golf going a little bit. And uh, there is a chance that the three four, if they do that, that maybe the running games, the run defense is a little sloppy. So I think that the Rams should be balanced for the most part and get the ball moving. And uh, on Cam's part, it's uh, it's one of those things where it's like he he might limit his he might limit the passing upside with his running and, and take away from McCaffrey a little bit with his running too. So he's, he's got a big upside scenario if it's an urgent game and uh, I keep to uh, Marcus Peters, they're ball Hawks, but they're not exactly tight in coverage. So I think Samuel and Moore can go both get open. So I, I think that it's a pretty good matchup for both quarterbacks really, especially since it's an urgent game for both. Okay. I, I think that that that's probably the, the right take there. And you know, th- this is a game where, you know, there are multiple offensive pieces that are going to be useful in, you know, 10, 12 team league uh, fa- or 12 team uh, fantasy leagues this week. So I think that, yeah, like you said, this one will, will have plenty of scoring, plenty of production uh, to go around there. Do you have a side there Rams minus two? Um, I don't really feel strongly about it, but I guess I would kind of side with McVeigh with lots of time to to scheme. Like it, maybe week two, it would be a different thing, but I feel like he's going to have Rivera's defense pretty much decoded. It'll just be like the Rams' offense kind of needs to just not execute. I think for for them to maybe come out flat enough for the Panthers to outrace them. Okay, all right. So that that definitely makes sense too. I, I think. It, with how narrow this line is, like if the Rams were, were asked to cover four, four and a half, I'd feel a little bit different. But I think at minus two, um, I'm comfortable with the NFC champions there covering that spread. All right, let's move on over to the Browns uh, hosting the Titans. Browns favored only by five and a half in this one. Is that kind of an implication that the Titans kind of try to drag them into the mud a little bit here? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's it's a kind of a team where you beat them by five, but it feels more like you beat them by 12 just because they run out the clock. Don't really know, but I don't see much hope for Tennessee in this one. Like the Cleveland defense could be a really big problem in the offense. Although we got to keep an eye on this Odell Beckham hip yes, thing. Yes, I was about to ask you about that. There was a pretty concerning tweet this afternoon, or yeah. just a comment from him basically saying that he was having trouble getting the sprinting and, and opening up uh, that hip that's been bothering him for a lot of the the uh, training camp and preseason. And hopefully adrenaline will kind of help him push through that. Not the greatest thing that you want to hear when, you know, it's sort of been cast as like a, yeah, this will be fine by week one type of thing. And now we have an actual comment from the guy who actually has the hip and it doesn't sound awesome. Right. So I don't know how seriously to take it. Like he might just be kind of dramatic with it. Don't really know. You would think that the Browns would be a little more alarmed about it, or at least they would be mad at him for kind of like spilling the beans about it if it really were that bad. So if you have Beckham, unless we hear something from reporters saying that he's in trouble and might not play, I think you just roll with them and just kind of, you know, assume assume that if it if it was as bad as it sounds they would be acting a little differently i guess okay so you know i i do expect odell to be out there but if you know he's not in peak form there does that change where you are with how how this game kind of comes out and maybe how this passing game operates for cleveland yeah i mean it would hurt um mayfield a little bit if if beckham isn't out there because beckham can just change things he's difference making player so i think that richard higgins 
Jarvis Landry and Joku would all get a boost and I think Mayfield would more or less do what he was going to anyway so if that's true I would like Higgins or Anjoku or Landry to step up but it also might need to be a game where it's like Chubb just kind of Chubb and Hilliard kind of grind them down over the course of a game because uh like the Tennessee defense looks pretty good but if you have to defend a short field all game you can just kind of fall apart eventually yeah I I think so too and and Tennessee could kind of just work itself into a situation where the the offense is so inept uh, and and so prone to going three and out or in maintaining these very short uh, drives that come up with no points where the, that defense does get really tired and when you're a tired defense like you're saying there uh, Chubb and Hilliard are, are not two guys that you want to be dealing with you know back to back to back to back yeah so um, I would definitely pick Cleveland to win I don't really have any strong feelings about the spread exactly but it's just hard to see Tennessee is threatening with a beat up slash suspended offensive line going against Garrett and Vernon and Ogan Joby and whoever else. I just figure like the, the Browns will probably swarm them. Okay. Is at the very least, obviously you're probably going to start Derek Henry this week if you have him. Probably. But, but is Corey Davis like a fringe wide receiver three for you? Um, he's a weird player because he at once looks pretty risky most of the time, but I'm not sure his risk level really changes that much with the game, with the matchup. Like he, he will always have against him the passing volume of that offense, but he might get a big enough share of it and he might get like just enough targets that even if he's inefficient, he still gets decent volume. So you would figure you'll see a lot of Denzel Ward. Maybe it's one of those things where even if he's covered, he's just so much bigger. He can still get the ball at least get some garbage time stats something like that so i i can see putting davis on your bench but i wouldn't really that would probably have more to do with like your other players matchups looking good rather than specifically feeding feeling to move away from davis i think right so you know in in this situation and obviously the listeners would would know about this by now and, and we are attuned to it as well with the antonio brown situation would you start tyrell williams over over Corey davis this week then then uh do they have denver it's in oakland yeah think? that is correct uh, that's tough i don't really think so uh but it, i mean i wouldn't argue against it it's just a coin flip at most I, I don't i don't think it's an obvious alternative even if it turns out to be the better play but uh yeah i mean part of it part of my reasoning there is like denver just looks like a tough matchup to me mm-hmm. so uh i can imagine Carr struggling so bad that tyrell's perhaps greater role kind of gets uh you know broke even anyway yeah it gets his legs chopped out from under it it's in a way it's a little bit parallel to to davis and the titans where like you know theoretically if if brown is out then williams is going to get a pretty heavy share of the pie there but you know how good is this pie going to be and uh you know especially with these off both these offenses that we're talking about uh being on the lower volume and and not having the the greatest quarterback situations it it just makes kind of for an interesting toss-up if you know obviously you got Tyrell Tyrell Williams at a much later part of the draft than you did Davis but I I think at this stage it's it's it does profile as a bit of a coin flip uh, between the two of those guys Um, but overall I do I do expect the Browns to win this one by like a touchdown Um, I if I'm buying the Browns hype which I am you know I kind of have to have to back that up and and also just say that they're gonna carry it against the Titans all right let's move on over to one of the more interesting lines in my opinion this week in, in an interesting game 
couple of uh, the most recent AFC Championship runner-ups, the Chiefs and the Jaguars. Chiefs minus three heading down to Florida to steamy Jacksonville for this one. I think on a neutral field or if this was a home game, the Chiefs would be favored by, you know, a touchdown plus. But, you know, this being on the road there kind of changes things. Uh, Where are you uh, with this game from a fantasy aspect? I think it makes sense to to, uh, view it as a unusually good setting for the whole Jacksonville offense but especially Fournette and Dee Westbrook since it seems like they'll be the they'll be the players who it channels through most reliably and I think Foles is a totally good play too I know that they uh the the Chiefs added Tyron Matthew and uh, uh Frank Clark at defensive end but they're also switching to a 4-3 and Steve Spagnuolo Spagnuolo has uh, mixed results at best throughout his career so I can see the Chiefs defense taking a step back even though it wasn't great last year it remains to be seen what kind of what the scheme switch might mean for Chris Jones who's kind of a a, a pretty tall standing end uh, 3-4 guy who's now going to play 4-3 maybe a little over more the the guards than he used to so he might kind of regress for that reason might not but uh, it's it's some unknowns and I think Jacksonville's I mean, at the very least, they're a fast offense, despite whatever limitations they have. They're very fast. And if it's like a shootout game, just things can get wacky, especially if there's that much speed and enough plays being run. So I, th- I think Jacksonville is a pretty nice DFS target. And if uh, if you punch it at quarterback and you're down to fulls and some other fringe player, I think you can feel better about this week than most. Interesting. Yeah, that that Chiefs defense doesn't look like the, it's completely fixed uh, at all. And obviously that was one of their big Achilles heels that, that kind of sunk them uh, last season. And, you know, like you were saying, it, it's a pretty thin line there. Three points for the Chiefs and yet the over under uh, there is 51 and a half so the second highest on the board so there is a pretty high implied total here with this Jaguars offense so I think like you're saying there's going to be some sneaky value uh, to be had there Um, I think the the question on probably a lot of listeners minds is going to be what this Chiefs backfield looks like week one so I would like to hear that Uh, I think they're going to give Damian Williams the first shot I I would be surprised if he played fewer than I don't know 28 30 snaps it's a question of like what how good the Jacksonville defense is against the run and how good the Chiefs are in their own running capacity and I'm I still believe that if there's space that Damian Williams will take that space better than McCoy or Darwin Thompson and similarly if Damian Williams struggles I'd be surprised if the other two didn't but anything's possible and it's also possible that Damian gets off to a slow start and then one or both of McCoy or Thompson kind of get their foot in the door so it's all within uh, the range of possibility, I think, but I'd still kind of defer to what Williams did last year. And, you know, obviously you have shares of him in a lot of places. I do as well. Be the be the uh, advisor here. Should I start him this week? Uh, what's the alternative? Uh, good question. I've, I've, I've I mean, I'm too many different. I'm starting him in the out. NFFC teams that I have him. Okay. All right. Well, that's it. That's a ringing enough endorsement uh, for me there. And obviously the, the chiefs, you're not sitting Mahomes or Kelsey or Hill. You're going to be firing those guys up as well. And I think the Westbrook call, I think is going to be an interesting one. I'm going to get him uh, started in most of my lineups and I'll have to consider him for DFS as well. Let's keep it in the state of Florida, a game that is expected to be a little bit more lopsided. This one, uh, the Ravens minus six and a half going down to Miami uh, to face a Dolphins team that is actively trying to tank right now. Yeah, I think that pretty much everybody on the Baltimore offense and especially a DFS where their price is kind of taken into 
take into account their various risks. Um, pretty much everybody's in play there, and I'm seriously considering starting Lamar Jackson over Baker Mayfield in one league. Uh, he's he's from Miami, isn't he? He sure is. Yeah. So there's that whole thing. There's a uh, for, for uh, DFS tournaments, mostly, it might be worth keeping in mind the uh, Gus the Gus Edwards revenge on the city of Miami uh, game. <laughs> uh, what else? Yeah, so I think I think it's like you know the the Ravens are rightly heavily favored. The Dolphins kind of look like a joke, and they're on high quit risk alert. So you love that for your for your brand new head coach. <laughs> yeah, it's best to start quitting in the first quarter of Week One if you can at all arrange that. That way, uh, you know, everyone's just that much more depressed by the time October shows up and <laughs> you don't have to worry about them getting uh, getting all moxied up and, and doing a, a spoiler run that takes you from the first pick to the fourth or something like that. So, yeah, it's uh, it's good. It's best to destroy all hope as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they're on it. So uh, but yeah, uh, if if. If it's a joke of a game and Mark Ingram only plays like the first half, I can imagine Gus Edwards getting up to something like 15 carries. I can imagine Justice Hill getting an extended audition or just kind of like, you know, preparation reps and he could produce in in such a scenario. So uh, not really not really thinking Lamar Jackson for the passing upside. Like I wouldn't really be drawn to anyone in that passing game, even adjusting to the price in DFS. But Lamar could do something like you know 80 yards or more running and 220 yards passing something like that because uh he's he's just got it in him it's kind of what he projects for eventually exactly so i think that he's gonna he's gonna be able to rack up uh the production in this one um on the on the Miami side, this offense, you know, the backfield has been a headache all off season. The, the receiving core now looks different uh, with, with Kenny Stills being in Houston. Any interest in, you know, maybe from a DFS perspective or, or maybe otherwise, like if, if I have an Albert Wilson in, in a deeper league or a PPR league, would I would I consider him or should I just leave this offense completely alone? Because it does feel like Jimmy Smith in particular could be a, a bit of a weak link in the secondary. It feels like he might be slowing down a little bit. He got torched a lot uh, during the preseason and training camp. So, uh, and yeah, I think he's on the wrong side of 30 or getting up to there. So uh, maybe there's... Oh, if there is a soft spot to exploit in this Ravens secondary, it'd be his side. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if I would want to target Devontae Parker, though, who would probably be running against Smith and Humphrey. Like, I would imagine Wilson gets most of the slot. And is that against was it Young or something? Uh, he's out for the season. Oh, whoops. Okay. Uh, do you know who – do they plan on a certain player in the I would, slot? I'd imagine it's Carr. Um, Kennedy didn't make the team, so uh, – or he's on the practice squad. So uh, maybe Cyrus Jones would, would fill in, in in the nickel, which would be pretty exploitable also. Well, I'd, yeah, I would definitely prefer Albert Wilson and maybe even in standard scoring, but certainly in PPR, half-point PPR – uh, I did bench, I think, Kenyon Drake in the Scott Fishbowl team that I have, and I, I plan on starting him other weeks, but I had some receiver. I can't remember. I think I went with, like, Mohamed Sanu or something like that, or Jameson Crowder. But uh, in any case, I think Kenyon Drake is still totally in play as a, uh, especially a PPR kind of flex play, but uh, might want to put the Dolphins on shutout watch in this one. They just don't seem to, like their talent really lags from even the perspective, even relative to some of the other worst teams. And then the politics of, of everything there is just totally screwed up. Yeah. If the, if this pass rush is able to get home against a, a, 
an offensive line that doesn't have Laramie Tunsil anymore and has had to kind of on the fly readjust what its left tackle situation is going to be. Yeah, this could get ugly in a hurry there. So I'm on the I'm on the Ravens for this one for minus six and a half. I feel good about that. And I think that there's going to be some fantasy production from their rushing game specifically along the way. Yeah, uh, seriously, I will make a tournament lineup or two with Gus Edwards in it, and I'm optimistic for my best ball shares this week. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so let's uh, let's move on to another game. We got the Vikings uh, minus three and a half going up against the Falcons. So a couple of dome teams he, uh, here in play. Uh, this should be a pretty fun, interesting game uh, to watch here. So what's sort of your your general uh, baseline take on this one? Well, it kind of reminds me of the Rams Panthers game in that it's a couple defenses that you don't circle as an obvious victim in the schedule but when you have teams with offenses this good and the ambitions that they have playing in a dome helps a little bit but it's just one of those things where urgency can kind of overrule uh the general trends that otherwise happen like when things like like all the biggest plays it seems like it happened not all of them but a disproportionate amount of the points and yardage posted happen in like hurry up catch up situations and it's like the game a game like this a game like the rams panthers it might feel more like a hurry up uh more often at least than other typical games because it's just the urgency is there and it can kind of uh it can tempt the more upside scenarios even if the matchup is tough so well although we have to see what happens with julio jones um he was hinting that he might not play in this game if they don't if they don't give him a contract before then so uh, if he's not in, <laughs> that's something. <laughs> if he's not in, then it changes from something where I'm targeting all of Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs in DFS, and maybe more so targeting Dalvin Cook uh, because I don't know if the upside aggression scenario is there for Cousins anymore. If Julio isn't playing, uh, if Julio isn't playing, you probably raise Calvin Ridley up in the target rankings, though. And um, yeah, if Julio's in there, you, I love. I think that the Falcons' offense can overrule most defenses, including this one. But if he's not there, it's just a totally different question. Okay, so looking at, at the backfields for, for both of these, I feel like uh, in general, Minnesota, pretty tough against the run. And then Atlanta, they were just so stricken by injuries in, in the front seven last year that it's hard to really uh, take anything uh, without, a, without a grain of salt from the way that they were able to, to defend the run a year ago. So when it comes to guys like Freeman and, and Cook this week, um, do you think that they could end up having like kind of potential RB1 upside when, when the, you know, the week's all said and done? Yeah, it's easier to see with Cook because even with Deion Jones there, it's just one of those things where uh, he might he might do a lot of pass catching work too, and um, it's like even if the Atlanta defense is decent, Cook kind of can just overrule a good defense with his own talent. So I think Cook is one of the best plays this week at running back, and if Julio's not in, it probably gives him a little bit of a boost for me okay i think that, that that's an interesting uh, way of looking at it but it, it definitely uh, makes sense and then in all uh, who comes away w- with this one uh, uh, with a three and a half point spread there for the vikings um let me see. i guess if julio's in i would pick the falcons actually I've, I've been on the falcons uh in both my uh pick'em leagues yeah so but if he if julio's not out there i guess then i'll take the vikings for sure but that, then i would imagine that line shifts, yeah, yeah it would change pretty decently. probably like six and a half or something no not six probably like five and a half or yeah something. i think yeah two points would probably be a fair uh estimate there all right let's get one more game here from the early afternoon slate um one that that could be 
a bit of a disastrous scenario for the for this Washington team that, that goes into the year with a really kind of ragtag roster. Uh, the receiving core doesn't really have a ton of fantasy upside to it. Uh, the backfield, we, we like Darius Geis, but you know there there could be some some just uh, bad elements to that offensive line that that hurt things with obviously Trent Williams being away um, and the court the quarterback play being so shaky under Case Keenum that you know you figure the Eagles can kind of sell out against this run game this could get ugly in, in a divisional game in week one yeah things are looking really good for guys in the sense that it sounds like he's just the guy at running back for Washington like it sounds like Jay Gruden was pretty much saying he's ahead of Peterson and Peterson might just be the backup now so probably how it should be i mean oh for credit to the redskins for figuring that one out yeah so it's good that you know it's looking good for guys on the longer term but in a matchup like this he basically needs a garbage time he needs like a garbage time workload because yeah if you give him prevent defenses and some backups on that eagles defense he can tear through them but in the first three quarters he might only get like eight carries because of the script and i don't think they're going to give him garbage time workloads so you basically need an, an upset or a close to it upset scenario for for guys to be used enough to, to reach the upside that we have in mind or so i would guess so i'm not targeting him in dfs but in season long where you have fewer choices he's totally decent flex play i would guess and arguably more than that just on the basis of his talent and being a starter okay so with um all right, I'll, I'll draw a parallel here, and I want to see w- which side of it you you land on. Obviously, Tony Pollard, t- his value took a hit with, with Zeke officially signing his contract, but it sounds like Zeke isn't going to get a full workload this week, and, and the Cowboys are in a more favorable situation this week going against the Giants. So in a flex type of situation, Pollard or Geis? I'd go Geis. Okay, good to know. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm still trying to trying to figure that one. I, I, I do have that conundrum in, in a couple different spots, so trying to trying to get the the lay of the land there but i I do think that this is going to be a tough one uh for washington to move the ball at all and then on the on the eagle side of things um that's a backfield that that also has been very confounding to a lot of people some people have been very confident that it's going to be the miles sanders show everyone or a lot of other people ourselves included not as sure just yet yeah we like we probably come off as jordan howard like we're like we're confident that jordan howard will do this or that but it's more that we don't think we can take much for a given with that backfield. And if one guy costs a fifth or a sixth round pick, I guess I'm taking the other one then. And yep. at least if the other one's going uh, four to five rounds later, because I, I just don't see the basis for that. So uh, Miles Sanders, I guess the most athletically talented. I don't think we can take it for certainty that he's a better pure runner than Howard. I know that that's just a crazy, unforgivable thing to say. But I can't believe you said that. But uh, I don't know, look at Jordan Howard's career numbers. Look at what the two of them did in the Big Ten for their respective teams. It's like I would bet in the long term that Sanders emerges as a better runner. Yeah, but especially in week one and the immediate short term, I just don't see the basis for taking something for that sort of certainty. So I won't have any Sanders. I might have I have a decent amount of Howard in best ball, and I like the setup for a game like this. And I'll think about Howard, I guess, for, for a tournament in dfs uh, i haven't i haven't i don't recall his price exactly so i might have scrolled past him and didn't really take note but the script could be really good for him because if miles sanders is kind of the 1a then you would think the 1b would get more work as the stakes of the game lower and the stakes might lower pretty quickly in this one 
and also the field positioning might be pretty good for Philadelphia all game. So uh, it it's totally reasonable to go with Sanders and DFS. And if you have him in season long, this is a good matchup for him too, I think. But that Washington defense is pretty tough in the front seven. And if they're not out there all game, and if they if the Eagles are not getting good field position, the from scrimmage yardage isn't a guarantee. Like Washington's the the defensive line especially is pretty tough. Yeah, no, they got they got all those Alabama guys up there. So Ioannidis or whatever is also good. Oh, the, yeah. the Greek name guy, Yanadonis. Yeah, something like that. He's he's totally good too. So he's got Adonis in his name. So. Yeah, and uh, it's like Kerrigan's there, uh, whatever. So they they got some front seven talent, even if you know the inside linebackers aren't good and the secondary isn't good. Like they can make it tough on the, in the the point of attack uh, if they're well rested. Okay, so looking at, or I'll just give you like a quick toss up with, with three guys, um, all very clustered in our weekly rankings, two of which are going in this game um, between guys. Uh, Miles Sanders and Devin Singletary. How would you kind of uh, power rank those three for this week? Definitely Singletary third. Okay. I don't know about Geis versus Sanders. I guess I would kind of lean Sanders just because it's you can imagine the Eagles winning by like three touchdowns or something in this game. And if that's if that's a possible, like the the converse just isn't possible. So I don't know. I I guess I just imagine Geis needing like. 18 carries to every 12 for Sanders is to match him and I just don't really feel optimistic about that okay all right so I, th- I think with the game script baked into that I-, I think that that's a- that's a very sensible ranking of that trio before we get into the late afternoon slate for Sunday we got a message from our friends over at fantasy football evolution fantasy football evolution is back for 2019 and better than ever you spoke and we listened we've added mock drafting moved up the championship final to NFL week 16 and made setting up a private competition a snap. Join FFE and play the game you love as it was meant to be played. FFE's unique three-stage format delivers the best of season-long fantasy football without the never-ending drafts or the late-season absentee owner and waiver-wire antics that can develop in traditional leagues. Play as an individual or be the commissioner of your own private league. You'll get 16 weeks of action for just $25. You could be the next FFE $25,000 champion. Maximize your chances by owning multiple teams. Optional auto draft and lineup assist can help you manage your teams with ease. It's all here. What are you waiting for? Register now at fantasyfootballevolution.com and join the evolution. Availability by states may vary. Visit fantasyfootballevolution.com for details. All right, Mario, let's jump into the late afternoon uh, slate of games. Uh, here's a here's one that I think is a bit of a trap, and I think a lot of people have kind of sniffed it out a little bit. I know our own Chris List kind of did to an extent um, on his uh, spread picks article, but the Chargers uh, laying six and a half against an Indianapolis wow. team that, that people are kind of, I think, over aggressively writing off. I think that they this isn't going to be the 2017 Indianapolis no. Colts with it without Andrew Luck. Like, and I don't is, know if I would pick the Chargers to win by a touchdown, even if it were that Jacoby Brissett who is still starting. Like the defense is obviously better now than it was, and the offensive line the is line a ton is better. Way better, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's like even if even if it was 2017 Brissett with this otherwise current Colts offense and defense, I still I think would take the Colts to cover that. 
Yeah, I would too, man. So, so I think that this Chargers team, you know, they don't really have a great home field advantage as we're well aware of. And Indianapolis is built now to stay in games at the very least. Like they're not very like blowout prone the way that maybe they were a couple of years no. ago. So this is going to be a challenge for this Chargers team over the over the course of sixty minutes. I, I do expect the Chargers to to probably win this one, but I think it's going to be definitely tighter than the six and a half point spread would, would indicate. And, you know, I think by the time we wake up Sunday morning, we could see this line of shift have shifted, you know, at least a half point, maybe a point. Yeah. I think I kind of want to pick the Colts to get the upset here. Cause, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I've, I pretty, I feel pretty confident about Marlon Mack being able to run. Like the Colts offensive line is good enough that you're not intimidated even by a good defense. And the Chargers are better against the pass than they are the run. So I don't know if the Chargers would even profile especially well to start with, even before factoring in the offensive line. I think Brissett's going to be totally okay. I don't think he's, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head where we would rank him. And I, I just think he's got a good chance to be a non-liability. Like with luck, you had, of course, just a really overwhelming uh positive with what he brings to the table but Brissett, i think he might have some legit standout traits and even if not i just don't think he's going to be the reason they lose most of the time that they do so i as long as Brissett is not just like making hideous decisions and it's like he didn't even really make bad decisions a couple years ago that's not really part of his profile if anything his his main issue was like he was kind of holding on to the ball too long which maybe this is the kind of line to try that with. I don't know. I mean, he, and also it's, he's a guy who at uh, North Carolina state was hilarious at breaking tackles. Like it's actually comical. If you can find some tape of him against Florida state where these guys are just taking direct shots at him. And he, he, he didn't just like, you know, pulverize them, shake them off, but he, he'd get like knocked back three yards, but not fall over. And then just like kind of extend the play for another six seconds. And it was kind of, disorienting to watch really how is this happening but yeah it's like i think he's he's a totally good prospect in my opinion he's not like the most polished natural passer but he's got a killer instinct and he's really tough to bring down and he can run a little bit the frank reich system will probably make things pretty easy on him so yeah i I, and meanwhile that charges offensive line doesn't look so great and the colts defense didn't they just lose okung for a little while yeah, he. Was, I don't know if he's supposed to play this year. Yeah, so you know, hope he you know is on the mend and everything. But it, I think that this was a pretty shaky offensive line even before that injury. Yeah, and Philip Rivers is probably good at identifying zone coverages, so he probably won't be like confused by what uh, Aberflus puts forward. And they ran a good amount of zone defenses last year, but uh, Aberflus did a really great job in his first year, and I can imagine him adjusting a little bit maybe more man coverage now that they've added some players and uh, theoretically improved some of their s- secondary talent, uh, especially at safety. But yeah, the, something about just putting a you know giant guy like Margus Hunt in the middle next to the short, fast, undersized guy like Danico Autry, like they just, they put these alignments with these money ball pickups on the defensive line where it's like nobody wanted Margus Hunt because he's He's bad at getting leverage and, and guys get underneath his pads and the fact that he's huge and fast and strong doesn't matter because it's like somebody's got their hands on him every single play. They find a way to just get him at least in a point in the, the offensive lines uh, construction where he kind of uh, just makes things awkward and then Autry like hits really hard, fast, short, 
Um, and even though he's like 270, like he might be playing next to a defensive end who's bigger than him, Danico Autry. It's it's really innovative stuff, and it seems to work. The results were certainly good last year, mm-hmm. and now they add Justin Houston. So I think this Colts defense could be really good, but they can't do the same thing that they did against the Chiefs in the playoffs, like where they were very uh, rigid about being four three zone coverage every play. Like they need to be a little bit more uh, adaptable than that, or else Rivers will probably just read through their coverages. But he also might not have enough time to throw, even if he makes the right read. That's a, that's a really interesting point. I, I I would imagine you know like you were saying with the way that that things went defensively in that playoff game, I, I think that they they will they probably tried to get more multiple over the course of this yeah, offseason definitely. defensively. So, um, uh, million dollar question for you for this weekend. Uh, you know how do we treat uh, this this Chargers backfield? It is is Eckler anything more than than a flex play now? Is he like a legit RB two now? And Jackson too. I think that Eckler's better than Jackson, and I'm skeptical that they mean to do an even split. I think more likely would be like Eckler at 55% and Jackson at 40, something like that. And Jackson could be totally decent, so he has his own, uh, you know, floor and ceiling to offer. But I think Eckler's legitimately good, and even though I'm worried about the offensive line, I'm kind of reassured, especially in PPR leagues, by. I mean, if Gordon's not out there, then Rivers might just have to take a bigger share of the offense or the a greater share of the from scrimmage production might have to be as a receiver. And Eckler profiles as a better threat than like Travis Benjamin or something. So he might do even more than he normally does as a pass catcher to offset. Let's just say Eckler struggles to get to like 4.4 yards per carry. Uh, I don't know if that enough or if that alone would be enough to make him like a bad value because he could do more as a pass catcher like there's slack in that offense and he's more easily applied to a play than mike williams who's kind of outside and downfield i i mean not to say like mike williams is a bad play but it's like i can just imagine eckler getting six to eight catches in this game even if the Chargers offense kind of struggles i don't know if it means something you know i don't know if it means doom for eckler if, if the chargers only get 17 points in this game or something okay yeah i do feel confident that he's going to have a good amount of yards from scrimmage there and yeah if, if in those half point and full point ppr leagues if he can get those six to eight catches that you're mentioning there um just kind of easy uh dump offs and things like that then you know that obviously bolsters his value even further there so i would feel good about uh keenan allen and uh, i guess hunter henry even but yeah i think i think keenan allen will be totally good in this game okay so that that'll be uh, one of the better late afternoon games uh one of the games that i will know existed but uh i i very much endeavored to not watch a single second of this one probably Seattle minus nine and a half at home versus Cincinnati. I don't feel like Cincinnati's in like the quit spot the way that, that Miami is necessarily, but their yeah. roster might be comparably bad. Yeah, it's not good. And Cordy Glenn might not be playing from a concussion. So who knows? So that could be like three of their, you know, projected starting line coming into the summer out. Yeah. And if Ezekiel Ansa is healthy, him and Clowney would be pretty imposing. Like, I don't know. I don't know what the tools are with Ansa at this point. Like he's getting up there in age and he's been really beaten up for a yeah, long time. Ankle. But if he is healthy, if he still is that kind of athlete, I mean, he he could age well. He was an insane athlete when he came out of BYU. So uh, maybe he only plays 10 games or something, but maybe he plays in this one and is a big problem the whole time. 
Clowney, I think, was going to be a problem in that Carroll defense. So I can imagine things getting out of hand really quick. I know that Chris Carson's a really popular cash game pick this week and for very good reason, but I think I'm going to, uh, you know, obey the brand. And <laughs> People like him, get rid of him. Uh, no, 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 no. It's not that. It's that, okay, guys. Well, this is, there's two aspects of the brand that are pertinent to this game, actually. It's point one. It's that, okay, if the Bengals really are this bad, and if the Seahawks, with all these receiver injuries, are still going to win, they're still going to have this point differential. Explain to me how Rashad Penny doesn't get in on this, and like I, and to be more specific, I think the the uh, like I'm not saying to take Rashad Penny over Chris Carson in a cash game. That's not what I mean. But in a tournament, I think I do prefer Penny because the Carson ownership should still be very high, also for good reason. But uh, why do we? Exp- why would we expect him to have a four quarter upside in this one? Why would we expect him to have? three quarter floor in this one right like he could get he could get 16 17 carries in the first half do his damage and penny could still end up with 20 do more damage and at a lower price and lower ownership so i like penny because it's like we expect the seahawks to just kind of thrash this team and at that point we're we're kind of cornering ourselves to say like either both carson and penny do something or I don't know. Russell Wilson throws for like 300 yards or something, which I just don't see. That would basically mean that Tyler Lockett gets 300 yards. I like Lockett either way. I just don't know how that passing game functions if he doesn't go. Who's who's that second receiver that you might try to get you know get a hold of for this weekend? Because I feel like that's one of the tougher things to figure out. I mean, I literally don't know who. Yeah, I literally don't know who's going to play. Like, it doesn't sound that reassuring on Metcalf. No. Gary Jennings made the team, but they were saying bad things about him during camp, which I don't really buy. Like, I, I think he's good, but I don't know. Weird stuff happens. With that said, Jerron Brown, let's go. They could, oh, did they bring him back? Did they? I don't know. Did they, they cut him. Oh, okay. Uh, what the hell? What the hell is going on with you guys? Oh, boy. Um, Seattle. This is this is too. So, uh, John Ursua might be. Might no, be. it looks like he's. It looks like they signed him. Okay, they re-signed him uh, Monday, and I just didn't notice. Okay, uh, if Jerron Brown is healthy, he's the next one. He's okay. he's got to be, and uh, I think he's totally in play in DFS. And if he's like a three thousand, I'll, I'll just look at DraftKings see if he's a three thousand because like I can. If we get confirmation that Jerron Brown is playing, I can convince myself that at 3,100, he might be worth a cash game play and definitely a tournament on DraftKings because that's just so low for a guy who, I don't know, what like what if Metcalf, David Moore aren't playing and with the tight ends that they have, I can just, I can imagine, uh, and they, like Lockett can only handle so many, t- like if he gets more than like 12 targets in a game, like that's a lot of hits for a guy with that frame. And if Wilson throws for 200 yards and Lockett gets 120, which would be a very high total, 60% or something like that. So whatever, it's a lot. And in in that case, I still think Brown would almost have to go along for like three or four catches for 40 yards. Like I have to either believe Wilson throws for fewer than 200, which is possible, but Wilson could also throw four touchdowns on like 16 attempts in this game. So I will be pretty curious about this Duran Brown thing. I probably won't pick Jennings or Sua, even if they're named the starter, because it's just uh, the tournament logic would be there. I just, I just think they might run the wishbone. 
that I mean, in this type of situation, like once they get up and, and with the, you know, the injuries in that receiving core, I mean, that kind of might as well. And then selfishly, I need to know I'm backing Seattle for my survivor pick. I know it's going to be very trendy. Uh, the last couple of years, I've also gone with the trendy one week one under the logic, like, okay, I just need to get past week one. And then after that, I'll, I'll start to differentiate myself. Seattle at home versus Cincinnati. I don't know if there's a safer survivor play. <laughs> yeah, and it's Which also is the is the crushing kibosh of that. As much course. as they should win by double digits, and I do think they'll cover that nine and a half. Uh, you wouldn't really, even if that happens, you probably wouldn't project them for more than like eight and eight, nine and seven, right? Like the just, Seahawks team. Yeah, so it's not, not it's not like you're using the Rams in week one or the Patriots in week one. It's it's like this this team might only win seven more games all year and yeah, yeah. it's not that bad that it's obvious in one of the times then you pick right one of those times yeah that's a yeah that's a good point that it's not it's not like burning the chiefs in week one or, or like you said like the rams or something like that so all right i feel a little bit better about that from a game theory but i want to say also uh as we had the gus edwards revenge game against miami we don't have a revenge game but we do have like a joyous homecoming game here for john ross here who should be on the field and just, I can just imagine this game being like utterly hopeless from start to finish and garbage time starting, you know, midway through the third quarter. And after going three and out, whatever, 10 times, I don't know how many drives there are in a game, but however many times they go three and out with turnovers, getting sacked all over the place, whatever, maybe the Bengals just say like, you know, F it, we're going deep. <laughs> and maybe the defense will be like, I'm sick of running with this guy and they'll let him catch it. And the crowd will be like, we like you, John Ross, the only Bengal who is good. We remember you. We remember yeah. you fondly. Yeah. So that's I'm, I might have to do a John Ross tournament lineup because uh, if he catches four passes, it might be for like 150 yards. You never know. You never know. But sometimes he's also been pretty disappointing. I don't know. Yeah, but he also had I, seven I touchdowns in like that whatever, is crazy. T- like 15 that's catches so last year. Yeah, so it's nuts. Yeah, so I just I just can imagine a lot of worthless, uh, meaningless snaps in this game. And if you can have one guy who's way faster than everyone else and no one else on the field really cares, maybe something useful could happen. I don't know. Very much so. All right, so let's shift gears on over to um, the Detroit versus Arizona game, the, the debut on, an, on the regular season, at least, for Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. Detroit, two-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. I think a lot of people – um, around around like the fantasy community have been circling this one as, as like a get all your Detroit guys in uh, yeah. Detroit is going to shred this Arizona defense. I'm of the opinion that, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. I think that the pass defense looks pretty bad no in Peterson. an open and shut way. Yeah. No Peterson. Uh, I think Alford who they might've signed from uh, Atlanta might be hurt. I, I know he's, he's out. If it's just like, a, am I remembering Alford correctly as the particular guy? So they're down their top two corners. The safety Swearinger and Buda Baker might be good. I don't know. And the pass rush is probably going to be decent. But it's – I don't know how they can stop like a decent offense. And I think Detroit's decent. I I think that any of on Johnson, Kenny Galladay, uh, Marvin Jones, and TJ Hawkinson could all do well, or any of them anyway. I think a Stafford, Galladay, or Stafford – jones stack makes plenty of sense because we pretty much have all these reasons to believe that the the arizona defense isn't any good uh can't stop any particular offense and this one almost certainly not or you know it's it's 
only like two times out of 10 would I guess that this defense contains an offense with Stafford, Galladay, all those other guys. And if that's true, and also the Arizona offense turns out to be better than people are expecting, then Stafford and everybody else can really go off because it would be maybe the most up any ta- any s- single game where the Cardinals offense is doing well, you have to make that game probably the favorite for the most snaps that week. Because if they are competent in setting in the tempo and the other team has to match it, there's no other game that's going to be that way. You, any other any other game, you're going to have somebody trying to like sit on the ball with the lead or something. And in this with this team, it's like if it's going well, they're they're just raising the tempo on you. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think I think the Detroit stack makes a lot of sense in DFS. And then you know on the Arizona side of this, um, you know they they went ahead and they acquired so many young, exciting. Uh, receivers uh in the draft you know be it andy isabella or keem butler who's injured um or Keyshawn johnson but they're kind of going with the old reliables um to to at least start the season at receiver um do you anticipate that them that the cardinals will run four wide enough to where like a trent Sherfield could be useful because it as it stands and when they're in three wide it's going to be fitz uh christian kirk and michael crabtree or what's left of michael crabtree i won't be making a Sherfield lineup but i can see the case for it like they only kept two tight ends. They're going to have to run the most four wide, probably by a significant margin to the second place team. So I, I am interested in Crabtree just because more so the price. Cause like I, he was so good at Texas tech and I know this is probably stupid, but he was so good at Texas tech. Like he must know the air raid, even though it's been a long time and uh, whatever he was ever good at as an NFL player is uh, are probably traits that are most pertinent for this type of system where it's more about timing and placement than it is about outrunning a guy or just beating him with an amazing route it's more like the theory works like if everybody is in this place at the time that they're supposed to be there the defense will have to slip up in some regard or another to match whatever number of them and it's like there should be an opening enough of the time that we can move the chains enough to get ahead some way and crabtree should i mean how quickly they moved him into the starting lineup is a testament i think to how suited he is to an immediate impact so that's a really interesting point the the parallel there with with his air raid experience yeah so in ppr like i'm not expecting the the cardinals to put up like touchdowns specifically in this game but and and it could all go very badly but it also could go pretty well and even if it doesn't go well someone like crabtree could still get just cheap catches even if they're not like meaningful productive catches as far as winning the game okay that's an that's a definitely an interesting wrinkle to, to keep an eye on I, i'm excited for that one i'll probably have that i'm hoping for fireworks of that. yes uh, it would be really good for the league if the cardinals are good on offense in my opinion yes it would god that'd be awesome um especially can <laughs> it'd be kind of jarring after after seeing how bad they were uh last year so and in this preseason pulse. i guess mm-hmm. but I don't know. I mean, Cam Newton's rookie season, he had one of the worst preseasons anyone had ever seen. The people who hate the Cam haters were already throwing big parades for themselves. And then week one, rookie passing record against Arizona against Arizona. Yeah, pretty wild. All right, let's move into the last couple of games of the afternoon slate. Uh, Dallas, seven and a half point favorites against the Giants. That feels kind of rich to me. And I don't know why. Yeah, I don't think Dallas is that great. And I, I actually don't believe this thing about we're only going to give Zeke 20 to 25 snaps or whatever it was. 
if like, he's in shape, then like he's going to play. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine them taking that stance if only to kind of tell the other guys like, you know, just to, just to maintain the posture of like, if you don't practice, you don't play. And now, you know, if, if Zeke comes back, not really practicing and they give a, if they say like, oh, yeah, we're going to give him every snap he can handle. They, they might look like they're not uh, being fair or whatever. But if he's like put it another way. If he's physically able to take more reps than they give him in that game and they lose, how do they justify that? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think they're going to give him – I think they they have in mind the possibility that they'll need to limit his reps, but I think they're going to find out for sure if they need to. I don't think they're going to go in limiting themselves at the outset. Yeah, they're not going to like be peeling him off the field in key situations just to keep him on sorry. pace for that 20, 20 snap. Yeah, they're not going to be like, sorry, Zeke, uh, that was a really nice 50-yard run. But the schedule says we have to put you away for a drive. So, like that's not happening. No, I don't. I don't think so either. And then looking elsewhere on this Dallas offense, obviously Amari Cooper, uh, Michael Gallup got some late draft season helium. I think he w- started going inside the top hundred. Uh, he apparently had just a great uh, training camp. I I have a couple shares of Gallup, so I am interested in the three receiver league or league where you start three guys or have a flex. There is Gallup kind of viable for you this week. Yeah, I think he's a good player, and if Dak throws for enough yardage, then Gallup could get in on it. I don't know what to make of Cooper and his stupid foot injury, but uh, the Giants' defense doesn't look so great, and if you know Gallup's in his second year, he'll probably be better than he was last year. Uh, he's He also had a pretty high depth of target last year. like They would throw to him downfield pretty far, so as far as that kind of like tournament upside, he could be a guy who averages more per catch than some others. Okay. All right. So I'll have to I'll have to keep that in mind as well. And then obviously Saquon, uh, just you know, you don't even think about that. Is there anything else on the on this Giants offense though? I guess Evan Ingram is, is of course you know someone that you're going to be starting. But Sterling Shepard. Yeah, they're hyping Ingram really aggressively right now. We'll see where it goes. I just I would just have him play receiver and then hype him. But whatever. Uh, I think Dallas is going to be ready for him but if he does something after the catch maybe he can make it a big day anyway i, mean, I wonder he, i wonder if dallas would be so bold as to put like jalen smith on ingram i don't think they'll generally do that like he'd probably see more of uh leighton vander esh between the two of them and i think they'd I don't know where the hell Byron Jones plays these days, but maybe they put Byron Jones on Ingram, something like that. You have to have somebody that can account for the speed that Ingram brings to that position. Yeah, I think he would be more likely to get a nickel slot corner than Jalen Smith, but we'll see. Uh, Dallas's defense is pretty well schemed, I think. Like um, definitely, uh, what's his name, Marinelli, one of the better defensive coaches, I think. So uh, I, I don't think they'll do dumb things. If somebody for the Giants like Ingram or Shepard has a big game, I think they'll have to it'll have to be because they did it on their own part rather than Dallas just kind of making it easy for them. Okay. All right. That makes enough sense there. And then overall seven and a half points. I mean, the giants aren't very giants good. Cover. But I feel like the giants are going to cover that one as well. All right, let's get into one more for the afternoon slate. Uh, one that I'm having trouble figuring out myself, Tampa Bay minus one versus San Francisco in Tampa. Yeah. The over under opened at 49, which struck, struck me as a bit low up to 51, I guess now, Tampa Bay is still favored by one. I'm guessing the over-under is based on Garoppolo's ACL recovery because otherwise this seems like it would be the highest over-under on the slate. 
both defenses should be not so great i mean san francisco's looks quite a bit better than tampa bay's and i still don't know if we have reason to believe san francisco's will be better than average so uh we'll we'll see verrett could be a difference maker there if he can stay healthy i guess uh uh do you know if is, is bosa out for this one i thought he was questionable last i saw okay if bosa's not there that certainly makes things easier for the tampa bay offense but a low scoring game from both teams just seems unlikely to me okay uh, so I can, maybe like the over is is a little bit more in play for you this week than, than picking a side uh yeah i just i just mean um i don't think tampa bay will struggle on offense i can imagine i guess the 49ers struggling a bit but i don't think they will like i think they'll be okay i think they'll more or less match pace even if they're kind of hit or miss or whatever like shanahan should be able to scheme some hits if nothing else but uh yeah i think winston godwin evans oj howard they're going to be pretty chalky but for good reason matt breed is going to be pretty chalky in dfs also for good reason uh he can make an impact as a pass catcher even if they aren't in a running script but I'll be avoiding the Tampa Bay backfield until yeah, something gonna, is obvious there. I was going to say, I think some people will go so far as to, you know, maybe think about starting a Dare and Guma Wale this weekend. I don't know. It's worth a thought. I, I, I don't understand. The that backfield is so bad. It I, is. I think I might have to renounce my Ronald Jones love. I mean, maybe, but there's nothing's happened either. Like, I don't <laughs> no. know why we would base it on the... Nothing's happened. Um I, I don't know where it's going. I think it's a very wide open situation, but I think the Gumba Wale hype is generally a little over the top. Like I get it, chasing him, being willing to overpay for the upside and the upside theoretically being good if the Buccaneers are otherwise a high scoring offense. But the the probability of him matching even Peyton Barber as a pure runner isn't that great. Like he could be better, but he's probably not as good of a pure runner as Jones and it's a question of like well how much does this pass catching specialist role really matter if he's only playing like 30 percent of the snaps or something right. i don't know uh but I, they don't to me, look to dump it off very often either right i mean they maybe they do it a little differently maybe they do throw it to him because he's better than most players at it i really don't know but i don't have dari agumbo wally ranked higher than someone like tj yeldon and yet i know that the market is a lot higher on agumbo wally that that's pretty wild i think i'm on on team yeldon as far as that goes as well um, before we get into our, our last cluster of games here with the, with the primetime matchups, we got a message from our friends over at Fantasy Draft. Here's one million rake-free reasons to play on Fantasy Draft. Fantasy Draft is kicking off the 2019 season in a big way with the $1 million Hooters kickoff. This guaranteed contest is just $20 to enter with the top 10,000 finishers winning, winning cash prizes. And like all contests on Fantasy Draft, it's rake-free. That means 100% of entry fees are paid to contest winners. Rake-free contests on Fantasy Draft are a game-changer. No longer will you lose 30% of your bankroll to rake. Join Fantasy Draft today and experience rake-free daily fantasy for yourself. Register at FantasyDraft.com today and use promo code RWNFL to take part in the rake-free revolution. Again, that's promo code RWNFL. All right, let's move on to the the Sunday night game here uh, before we finish things up. Uh, Steelers going up to New England to face the Patriots. I think the Patriots looking like a five and a half point favorite in this one. Yeah, uh, how are you how are you viewing this one from from like a, from a side and then from a fancy angle? I think I agree with the over under falling a little bit and the spread falling from six points for New England to five and a half. Just because I know the New England defense was good last year and 
they've got you know talent to back up that outcome from last year it doesn't look like it was a fluke necessarily but the Steelers defense could be pretty good too I mean adding Devin Bush uh, replacing Vince Williams with Devin Bush could be a pretty big immediate difference maker Joe Hayden's been so good for them uh the other Edmonds should be better in his second year you'd you'd hope yeah and uh it's like Watt Hayward uh I feel like I feel like uh their no their nose tackle maybe had a pretty big year last Hargreaves or something it just looks like to me the Steelers defense could be pretty good so um especially if Ben Roethlisberger has his bad road split thing happen and he can't make an urgent game out of it in in terms of moving the ball then you can kind of imagine new england taking back the urgency a little bit in response and if they run the ball a lot they might be hitting a lot of brick walls with that run defense otherwise they might just get first downs but at a kind of tedious pace and uh, maybe not have so many touchdowns specifically like i guess i wouldn't be shocked if there's a decent number of field goals in this game but that's what everyone wants to see on a primetime standalone game yeah you want to see it uh, you love it when you, you do. do see it but <laughs> Uh, I could be totally wrong. I mean, both of these offenses project as being above average over the broader course of the year. I just don't know if Ben Roethlisberger on the road and uh, the Steelers defense in particular being what brings out the best of uh, the two offenses, I guess. Okay, so so we think that this one might not be overly high scoring. And like you said, the, the over-under on this one has, has moved down. Um, just a little bit. I guess there. that would still be an over for a 27-24 game, and so I guess I'll take the over. If it was 51.5, I would have taken uh, the under, I suppose. But 49.5, I, I guess I'll go back toward the over if that's the number. Okay, all right, fair enough. Um, let's move on to the Monday Nighters. Um, so we got a really uh, potentially exciting game here between the Saints and the Texans. Oh, I, feel, yeah. I feel like some of these... Um, these or those monday night you know two-parters they just kind of they get by on on virtue of there just being six hours of football but the games themselves aren't that great but this one pretty awesome yeah we we as americans like to strap ourselves into a chair and tip it backward and watch passively the bad football for a long time oh yeah so monday's looking like a good day and uh it's it's nice to be able to get that fix immediately after a sunday uh, seemingly full slate because it's it's the first one you're not going to notice that one game is missing you're going to be like this is awesome no, I've, I've already watched 12 hours of college football the day before so you, you call Grubhub <laughs> to feed directly into your maw and <laughs> and you just go like wow this is so bad and it's you love it and uh <laughs> but yeah I think the first game should actually be good the second one will probably suck although I am looking forward to the Fangio uh the era of Fangio uh, the age of Fangio, whatever. But uh, I think that's a uh, huge age. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Thank you. We'll figure. We'll we'll get the trademark filed soon enough right. on whatever we get settled on. But uh, yeah, Houston New Orleans could be the best game of the week because I mean I don't know how soon Laramie or how how uh, many practice reps Laramie Tunsil needs to be Laramie Tunsil. But if you can add Miami Laramie Tunsil to the Houston offense and then have still this Houston defense that's bad against the pass playing against Drew Brees when he's at home. It's just really easy to imagine the shootout script. And as much as Lattimore and Apple and Marcus Williams are all pretty good and Demario Davis had a really big last year covering tight ends. I still pick Watson. If it's a shootout, if it's a high stakes shootout, like when is Watson just, I know that I know that the Colts game in the playoffs last year, the Texans were pretty much shut down in that one, but 
he also didn't really have as much help as he has now and he's probably going to be better this he was coming back from an acl tear last year and everyone just kind of forgot because that's how good deshaun watson is he has he has acl tears and no one remembers to be patient with him because he's coming back from an acl tear and he didn't really need to be um but he will probably be sharper wentz you know what's that meanwhile like everyone like you carson wentz can't like take a step without that people reminding you about that oh yeah was was that what he was coming back from uh, well, d- last year was the back was, or something. Uh, well, last year he injured the back, but he in- he the had the ACL year. in 2017. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I was I was I didn't didn't know if I was misremembering things. Um, but yeah, I think Deshaun Watson is going to be sharper for his own part this year, just because he's more than a year removed from the ACL and he's going into his third year. It's like people forget how high the expectations got for him all of a sudden, just because he had four insane games as a rookie and. Uh, with with more help than ever if kenny stills can get versed with the offense in time to give them 25 or more snaps that's a ton of firepower for deshaun watson and duke johnson yeah, I was i'm a say, big believer duke in johnson like borderline like top 15 for this week i think so at least in ppr like maybe standard scoring he's not as good like he doesn't really profile as a high touchdown total guy but i think something like 60 catches and maybe 200 carries is in play like i know he hasn't done that much carry count in the nfl but he's way better than carlos hyde and for whatever role they have in mind for carlos hyde that will get heavily tilted in in a competitiveness uh correlation like duke the more competitive the situation the more the more the snap coming up matters the more likely duke johnson's going to be out there and in a game like this uh, if it's a blowout, it's probably because Houston's getting blown out, and I don't think they will be. So I think Duke sets up really nicely, even if Demario Davis is a is a bad matchup for him. Okay, and then the, let's look at the uh, New Orleans side of this before we round things out here. So Michael Thomas and Kamara are two just kind of automatic. Is there anything automatic. else to, to look at in this <laughs> offense? I, mean, um, I feel like they're, they just eat up such a large share of it that you know everything else is a little bit just kind of stab in the dark. Yeah, Traquan Smith and Ted Ginn are justifiable tournament punts i guess i don't i'm not going to play them just because the way they break the game could still be a way where they only end up with like 11 fantasy points and you're taking on a substantial risk in exchange for that like if you're taking on as much risk as those guys carry i'd normally want someone who's capable of giving you the whatever 20 plus points and uh gin traquan they generally need multiple touchdowns to make that happen and i i don't really want to bet on that it's like if if the Saints are scoring thirty five or more points, then those guys kind of hit their upside scenario, maybe. But um, it's it's also a lot of ways that there's also a lot of ways that they could disappoint you, despite all the risk. Uh, you know, the upside just isn't really as much as I want for that level of risk. So I don't know if I'll have any Michael Thomas or Kamara in DFS, or uh, I'm not. I don't know if I'm going to play any Monday slates. But um, if you can afford them and and you are playing a slate that has Monday involved, it's like they couldn't really have a higher floor than they do in that one okay all right so let's move on uh to this broncos raiders game to to end things um so i was in a a serious xm uh, host league draft in which darren waller went uh undrafted so the the fab for him is going to be absolutely crazy i i put close to 20 percent of my fab towards him oh okay Uh, um i feel and i i have mark andrews but I don't know. I feel like I probably have Waller the same projection wise. And I, I don't know. My, my, I haven't done any Antonio Brown lists. 
uh, Raiders projection. I might have Waller ahead by now. I don't know. Yeah, so I, I might even you know get the edge to, to bump that up. But I mean, otherwise, you know, what what are you looking for in this game? Um, I'm looking for a fast start from the Denver defense. I think that Fangio wants it. I think he, I think he knows that if he can get a a convincing win here, then the Broncos for when they go back home. They'll have a little bit of momentum and maybe uh, be a little bit more predisposed to overachieving if they're if they're kind of high on themselves after week one. Uh, so I think I like the chances of the the Denver running game getting going to a big extent. Like I like Philip Lindsay a lot in this one, and if if Philip Lindsay doesn't have a big game, I'd be shocked if Royce Freeman doesn't. Like I, I just don't see how else this game can go. I don't have any interest really in the Denver passing game. It's Flacco alone is probably enough reason, but then it is. They're probably going to try to force usage to Emmanuel Sanders, and I just don't know how realistic it is to expect him to be as good as they need or want him to be at this point. So I think I think Emmanuel Sanders is, is still solid in PPR, but I can just imagine him averaging like six point two yards a target or something. Yeah, yeah, it could be you know kind of lower on on the efficiency end of things there so that that could be a problem for this this denver passing offense as a whole because i think it needs him to be doing well in order to function generally but yeah i in addition to darren waller i think jalen richard might gain quite a bit if antonio brown isn't there and i think todd davis was hurt for the broncos their inside linebacker i don't know what his deal is but they, they're kind of thin at inside linebacker they're really strong on the edge with miller and bradley chubb sure on the inside they kind of need to overachieve more so and if you're an inside linebacker who's a backup on a good deep defense covering richard might not be that easy so uh if if Derek carr doesn't have antonio brown to throw to i kind of like jalen richard to get to a fast start in ppr scoring okay i I think that's that'll definitely be the thing to look out for and uh you know believe it or not i I anticipate that we're going to hear a little bit more about antonio brown over the next couple of days (laughs) before we uh before we see kickoff here this could go a million different directions and back in each case just on an hourly basis there's there's never been this kind of crazy going on now even to like wants him to calm down i would imagine oh yeah to has nothing on this no. and um yeah it's like we're sup- we should be freaking out about odell beckham's hip or julio jones holding out and we just don't even have time for that crap it's like, <laughs> get out of here dude antonio brown's doing something insane on instagram yeah Shut you up. gotta see his this gr- is important he just added to his story so <laughs> so on that note that's just gonna be crazy but um i hope he drinks tonight and because that would that would bring about like a faster process to the whole thing wherever it's headed we'll get there quicker if yeah, he gets we need to see him at a, at, an oak, at a bay area club and we need to see that pronto uh, but this is a really fun breakdown we'll be doing these breakdowns every thursday during the season uh, for mario puig i'm john mckechnie thanks for listening to the rotowire nfl podcast brought to you by yahoo